He is risen. Amen. If you would turn with me to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, and we're going to pick up at verse 22. Today's scripture passage presents us with the message that is relevant today as it was when Jesus spoke these words to his followers over 2,000 years ago. In this passage, we see a crowd of people who had been following Jesus after the, he miraculously fed them with just five loaves of bread and two fish. They were seeking him out, hoping to receive more physical food from him. However, Jesus had a more profound message for them that went beyond their physical needs and addressed the spiritual hunger within their hearts. As we reflect on this passage, we're reminded of our own spiritual hunger and our need to seek sustenance that endures until eternal life. Jesus tells us that the work of God is to believe in him. And in doing so, we can experience the spiritual nourishment that only he can provide. So as we delve deeper into the passage, let us open our heart to God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in our understanding. May we be encouraged and inspired to seek the sustenance that truly satisfies us. And may we be empowered to live lives that reflect our faith in Jesus Christ. So let us Look at John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had been, where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the bo- got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi. When did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, 
This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. And we've been reminded in this very book, the Gospel of John, that all that you've done was so that we might believe. We pray, Lord, that you would drive us deeper into our belief. We pray that you would help us to know more about you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our knowledge of you. Help us to grow in grace. Help us to understand, Lord, that we might serve you the more, that we might love you the more. We pray that we will leave a changed people, Lord. And we pray that you would work in us, Lord, all the works that needs to be done, that we might be raised up, Lord, to do those things that honors you and bring glory to your name. Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would use me, a mere man who is weak, who is flawed. But Lord, I pray that you would use my weakness for your glory. May your word go forth with power, convicting hearts, bringing about change. That even the one who do not know you, who have not accepted you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day. We pray that they will be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we ask all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled the sermon, Seeking Bread That Endures, Finding True Satisfaction in Christ. You know, as we talk to people and have spoken to people about Jesus, um, we might have come to the conclusion that people seek Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Well, the people in our text sought Jesus for all the wrong reasons as well. And let's look again at our text at verse 22. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that, were, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Now at this time, the people saw Jesus perform the miracle of feeding the 5,000. He had also walked on the water and had gotten into the boat with his disciples. Once Jesus was in the boat, the scripture said that they were immediately across the Sea of Galilee. Once Jesus got into the boat, they were immediately on the other side. Now, I didn't talk about this last time, but did you notice that Jesus and his disciples reached land pretty quick? The scripture says, immediately. Let's look at it. Look at verse 19. Just a few couple of verses uh, before 
19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Isn't that amazing? Let me, let me read that again. Maybe you didn't get it. Uh, then they were glad to take him into the boat. They, they, had, they, were, they, they were three to four miles inland. Jesus walked on the water. He was in the boat land. That's what happened. The disciples and Jesus had at least a mile to go. From where they were, from Bethesda over to Capernaum, you had about five miles for them. They were already three or four. They had about a mile to go. Okay? So a group of skilled rowers during the time of Jesus could have potentially rowed a mile in around 12 to 15 minutes. So the point is they reached land not in 12 or 15 minutes, they reached land immediately. So by this time, they had made it to land, according to verse 21. I mean, that's a miracle in itself, right? Just you're with the Lord and he's turned on divine boosters or something. And you, you're there. I'm surprised John didn't talk about that, you know, a little bit more. I feel like John, but John probably felt that I only have so much to put in the text. So we have what we have. So according to our text, people from Tiberias were looking for Jesus, probably because they had eaten the bread and fish. I believe if somebody opened up a restaurant uh, in um, the desert somewhere, uh, in a remote area and just start sitting people down and handing out fish sandwiches, I think I would wake up the next morning looking for that guy as well. And so here it is, the people were looking for Jesus. It's evident that these people, those people either wanted more or they had heard about Jesus performing the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Or they had heard about him healing the invalid of 38 years. His fame began to rose, began to rise. Uh, this, this makes sense in a poor community because people had eaten until they were fattened. Many of those people probably Never ate like that. And during the time of Jesus, people who lived near the Sea of Galilee, they really were generally poor. And the Sea of Galilee was a freshwater lake about the same size as Lake Hodges in Escondido. So you kind of got that picture of, of what this Sea of Galilee, which is also a freshwater lake, is what it looks like. And so the people are living there around this lake. They're in different areas. So you got uh, this area where people are, are here, and the people are living there uh, where 
primarily fishermen and farmers who lived off the land and the water. So fishermen caught fish and sold them in the local markets, while farmers grew crops and raised livestock to sustain, to sustain their families. But it was a poor area. Now, additionally, the region was subject to political instability and foreign occupation, which made life even more difficult. The Roman Empire controlled the area, and the people living there were often taxed heavily and oppressed. They were oppressed also by the authorities. And so I want you to remember this picture in your head. So now that we have a picture in our minds, people started looking for Jesus too. Let's look at verse 23. There it says, other boats from Tiberias came near the people where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So in your own mind, why do you think they came back to the place where Jesus fed the 5,000? The text says in verse 24, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. In our culture and all around the world, people seek Jesus for all the wrong reasons. People seek Jesus for health. They seek Jesus for wealth and prosperity. Now, he can provide those things, and he does at times, but that's not what Jesus is asking his disciples to do. He's calling them to have faith in himself. He's going to require them to believe in him. But notice their confusion when they found Jesus. In verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? This is the confusion that I was talking about. At first, they tried to make him king, according to verse 15. Now they are calling him Rabbi, which translates as teacher. In other words, teacher, when did you get here? We didn't see you coming. They had their intentions, but the Lord had his too. Jesus didn't waste time dealing with their deepest problems. He went straight to the point. He went all in. Listen to Jesus in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs or miracles, but because you ate your field of the loaves. In other words, you were so satisfied that you sought me out again for the food that I had provided you before. Essentially, Jesus will begin to help them to recognize that they need to trust him 
They are seeking Jesus for what he can give them, the loaves, the fish, and control of the land, making him king. It's interesting that even though these people are living near the poverty line, it does not remove their inward most deepest desires to be rich or to have possession instead of having more of Christ. They wanted what he could give them. But Christ was trying to point them in the direction of their most deepest need. And so, what's your inward most deepest desire? Have you thought about that? What's your most inward deepest desire? It's a good question because it it tells us a little about ourselves. It tells us what we are uh, honoring the most, what we want more of in our lives. And the question is, if it does not align with what the Scripture reminds us of what we ought to desire the most, then we need to change. We need to repent. But if we are on that path, then we we are encouraged. We're given more confidence. We can press more into God because we're actually seeing ourselves within the biblical text. We are following along with what the Scripture commands. And that's what we want. Because one day we want to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Right? So the scripture reminds us of how we need to see if we're we're holding up to the test. The scripture reminds us of that. And so this is a good question for us to ask. So we have to decide what that would be. Would it be with God or would it be with a decision that we've made on our own? Do you use the scriptures to see all of life or do you put your faith on the shelf? And you go to work and you work within your own strength, uh, within your own abilities. And when all is said said and done, when things seemingly have gone well, who gets the credit for that? It's a good question for us to ask. What I mean is there's an outlook on life in which we either recognizes and uses material possessions as the supreme importance or we give glory and honor to God. Our outlook on life matters for everything, for everything. The scripture reminds us of the dangers of material wealth and possessions. When was the last time you considered your desires? And do they align with Christ? 
The question we can ask, too, is are we paper chasing? You know what that is. All about the money. Wake up, boom, checking your phone to see if anything left your bank account. That's a problem, right? We, we, we forgot to thank the one who gave us everything. So, so the, the action that we ought to take should not be a phone or anything else, but rather it, it can be a thought about the goodness of God of falling down to our knees and thanking God for the good that he has brought into our lives and the fact that he keeps on bringing it, bringing it over and over and over again. It's a privilege that he hasn't allowed us to just lose our lives. This breath itself is a blessing. And so their outlook on life, they recognize and use material possessions as their supreme importance. They made gods out of their possessions. The scripture reminds us of the danger of material wealth and possessions. And so we have to make sure that we continue to align ourselves with God. And in this text, we are reminded that the importance of keeping our priorities straight and avoiding the temptation to worship false gods. One such God that can easily consume our hearts and minds is the accumulation of wealth, the accumulation of wealth. We have to be careful to make sure that we are categorizing everything, we are compartmentalizing everything to make sure that everything is in its proper space. Because if not, we can fall into this same reality where we have begun to make the creation our God, whether it's a car, a house, a job, children, everything within the created order, if we give adoration to it or to them rather than God, we have made for ourselves little gods. And so that's what the people wanted. They wanted, they wanted the fish and they wanted the bread. They wanted to be well off. And so Scripture warns us that it's not money itself that is the root of all evil, but rather it's what? The love, right? That's what we mean by adoration. In other words, motives. What, what are our motives? What's the motive or what's the reason why we have what we have? Do we have it to glorify God? Or do we have it to accumulate for ourselves? And so, we want to be careful. When we place our trust in wealth and material possessions, we risk straying from the path of true worship and succumbing to the temptations of greed and selfishness. That's the danger. So this should, <coughs> this should also be said about our knowledge and our study of the scriptures. 
When we seek to know more, to put others down or to boast, this too is seeking material possessions. In other words, let all be done for the glory of Christ. We must be careful in watching our desires by making sure our desires align with his. That means we must watch our attitudes. Right? In having a wrong attitude, we can sin. And I've already said our motive. What are the reasons why we're doing what we're doing, what we're doing? And we want to watch these things in order to walk humbly before our God. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul states, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what, it, what, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is reminded, reminding himself about the need of making sure that his eyes is on Christ in all that he does. In Micah 6 and 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so we must remember that our ultimate allegiance is to God. And we should always prioritize our relationship with him above everything. Everything. That means wife, children, everything. God first. God first. It doesn't mean that you cannot love them, but we're just giving priority, right? We're, we're seeing all of life through a biblical lens. And so we, we're to see God first, as the scripture says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. Right? And the second one is like it, right? The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. So perspective, we're keeping everything in perspective, and that's what Jesus is calling them to do as well, to strive to do that which is good, to bring honor to God. Now, now notice the Lord himself taught the same thing, right? What was Jesus always about? What was he always trying to do? And what was something he always mentioned since he was a teenager, a young boy? What was the one thing he always mentioned? I must 
be about my father's business. Right? He always talked about the father's will. He always talked about doing the work of the father. So, going back to our text, Jesus saw their ill motives in verse 26 of our text. The Lord knows all things. He confirmed his identity as the son of man. He did miracles before the people so that they might believe in him and his message. The miracles were the things that authenticated who he said he was. That's the point, and that's the reason why the Lord would do miracles. It was so that we and others might believe in him. And so, instead of believing Christ and his message, they, they wanted what he could do for them. They, they resorted to flattery, but the Lord saw right through it. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And that, that word fill in the original language in Greek, means to be fully fattened or satisfied. Can you imagine being in a poor area where everything seems to be scarce, and then Jesus just started handing out fish sandwiches? And they're fattened, and they, they're full. They're going to remember that, right? And to see a basket where fish and loaves just kept on coming, That'll, that'll, that'll be something that you will remember in your mind. I know I will remember something like that. Jesus is saying, in other words, you are coming to me with flattery because you want another full belly. As followers of Christ, we can learn from the example set by Jesus in his interactions with those who approached him with flattery and respect. Just as Jesus refused to be swayed by superficial flattery, we too should avoid being influenced by insincere praise and seek to offer honest and faithful reproof when it is warranted. We must strive to prioritize truth and authenticity in our relationships with others and following the footsteps of our Savior by speaking truthfully and lovingly to those around us, even when it may be difficult. The crowd sought to be satisfied by material possessions, but ultimately true satisfaction comes from God. And in verse 27, the Lord teaches us that while we may focus on working to fulfill our physical needs, it's more important to prioritize our spiritual growth and seek the nourishment that only a relationship with God can provide. 
In other words, unless we begin with Christ, all we do fails. All we do fails from the standpoint of being able to honor and glorify God. Because we're either going to please ourselves or we're going to please the Lord. All I'm saying is, is that we have to begin with God. I'm not saying we can enjoy what God has provided for us. We're not saying that, but we're saying that in everything we do, in word or deed, we're to do it to bring honor and glory to the Lord. We must begin with Him. So the Lord stresses to the crowd in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. That's a command. It's a command. It says, but for the food that endures to eternal life. I hear him kind of saying the same thing when he says, what profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? No deal. Right? First things first. And that's, what, that's the message that Jesus is trying to give these people. And so he's letting them know that they must strive for the food that endures to eternal life. Their treasures must be the kind of treasures that can go beyond earth and reach heavenly places. Right? All of the other things that we do here, the scripture, the Lord himself reminds us that all of this stuff will perish, right? Robbers will break in and steal, right? Uh, then you have moth, the moth uh, will, will eat it up, rust, right? You have all these things where the elements will destroy it. And so why are we putting efforts in things that will be destroyed? That's the question that Jesus wants us to answer. We must begin with him. We must begin with God. Only what we store up in heaven shall last, you see. So John 6.27 is a statement made by Jesus to a crowd of people who had been following him after witnessing the miracle the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people. He fed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus told them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Then he says, which the Son of Man will give you. Right? So not only do he lets the crowd know what they need, but he also lets them know who's able to provide it. This is the mission that Jesus has always said that he has come to do, and that is to bring life. That, that's been his mission from the beginning. I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. So the world can miss me when they try to say that there are other ways to God. Other gods that he's not even determined to do what they said he can do. 
But we're talking about the one true God who have said why he have come and have been consistent throughout his ministry and life. We have all of the testimony, all of the eyewitnesses, all of the evidence. And when you add it up, it's astounding. It's astounding. And so, Jesus' statement was to help them to understand to not put their hope in the created order, but rather in the Son of Man, and they must do that by believing. And then he added it. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. In other words, it's, it's, locked, in, it's locked in. Jesus' statement was a response to the people who had been following him in hoping to receive more and more physical food. And he was telling them that while it is important to sustain their physical bodies, they should not be solely focused on that aspect of their existence. He urged them to prioritize spiritual nourishment, which would last beyond their physical bodies and sustain them for eternity. So when Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes, he was emphasizing the importance of focusing on spiritual sustenance. It's one of the things we want to do. Uh, we, we might know to do those things, but Jesus is calling us to focus on those things, to not just have it in our heads, but to actually have it deep in our hearts and let it go out into our hands that we will begin to show the world who Christ is, the works that we do. That means it affects us on our jobs. It affects us in our homes. It affects us in the community and how we drive on the freeway. It affects us everywhere. And so we see here that Jesus is trying to get them to focus on their spiritual sustenance rather than the physical. He wanted his followers to understand that true fulfillment comes from nourishing the soul. A lot of people are looking for all kinds of things to satisfy them. Jesus is saying, it begins with me. All of it. Every moment of satisfaction you want to have, he says, begin with me. And so we must begin with Christ. We must begin with him. And that's why he says, but the food that endures for eternal life. He's reminding them of that, which is spiritual, the spiritual nourishment that that can be obtained through a personal relationship with God. Do you have a personal relationship with God? You see, everything that Jesus is telling them to do, he's telling them that it begins with him, that there's no way of accomplishing anything for God, for his glory, without first having relationship with him. 
And so he's reminding them of that very thing. And so this spiritual food provides us with the strength and wisdom that we need, the guidance that we need in order to navigate this life. And in this life, we're going to have all kinds of challenges and difficulties, but we still want to grow in our faith and in our knowledge of God. It begins with him. Lastly, Jesus identified him as the son of man, according to this verse, verse 27, who had been chosen by God, set out for this very reason by God to provide access to this spiritual nourishment by saying that God the Father had set his seal on him. Jesus was indicating that he had been given the authority and the power to provide eternal life to those who would believe in him. Scripture reminds us that the Father has life and the Father has given life to the Son. And so therefore the Son is able to give life. That's what the Scripture reminds us. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through Him. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ... Today could be that day where you can receive him as your Lord and your Savior. What he's asking them to do is not to work for it. So he's not asking them to earn it. He's not asking them to do anything that would require us to do something so that we might be brought into good standing with God. But rather... The thing that divides us is what we believe. We're going to be in Christ or not. We're either going to believe that he is indeed God, the Savior, or not. And so the hope that you could have today comes through the one person who is able to give you the spiritual sustenance that you need for all of life. It comes in one person, the man the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. And if you would believe in him, you could have that life. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, right? That's the qualification. That's the hinge that hangs on the door. Not works. The hinge is belief. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I hope that you would come to him today. And if you have any questions regarding that, we can talk after the service. Then in verse 28, the people responded. It states, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? See? They're trying to earn it, aren't they? Right? They're, they're still trying to earn it. Tell me what I got to do. I'll do it. Just give me my stuff. Tell me what I got to do, and I'll do it. That's, that's their argument. And that's what the world wants. The world wants to do something so that they can say that they're good with God. Right? Well, you know, I'm not like the murderer. It's not like I'm going out here murdering something. I mean, I do go to church. I come on Easter. 
<laughs> right? They, they think that by do something that they do, they can earn them way, their, their way into heaven. But the problem they have is, is the amount of debt sin that they, that they have on themselves. That, that's the problem. Okay, you can add up all of the things you think you've done right, but the amount of debt that you have, that's the problem. So Jesus has come so he can take that debt on, his, on himself and then make a payment for you that you cannot make for yourself. He is the propitiation. He is the full payment. That's why he said it is finished when he was on the cross. And guess what? It was a one-time payment because his bank account of mercy is full and it never runs out. So that means from my life, from conception to the grave, I'm saved because of the finished work of Christ that he had done on the cross. He pays it in full. He pays it forward. Right? And it's done. And so now what I want to do for him is live every day for his glory. For I know I don't deserve it. I deserve wrath. I deserve hell. I deserve the penalties that is against me. But God in his grace gave me something I would never be able to pay back and something I never deserve. That's why the old slave owner was able to say, amazing grace. See, when you understand that more and more, you can't be the same. You can't do the same thing. Because now we understand, Scripture teaches us to much is given, much is required. And so, the crowd had been following Jesus, wanting more. And the crowd asked them, what do they need to do in order to perform the works of God? And this question was prompted by Jesus' statement. In the previous verse, where he told them that the work of God is to believe in him. And it, and it, it kind of seemed like the crowd was, was seeking some guidance. I mean, it, it seemed, it, that, that could be understood. You know, it, it didn't have to be all about trying to earn. But they could have been sincere in, in saying, okay, okay Lord, what, what is it do I need to do? Tell, tell me. What, what do I need to do? And so they were looking forward to having to do something so that they might believe. They were likely looking for specific actions or tasks they could perform. Um, and this question is still relevant to us today as Christians. We may also wonder what we need to do to please God, or to fulfill our purpose in life. However, like the crowd, we can sometimes misunderstand what God is asking us. Sometimes we're so troubled by the circumstance that we miss what God is teaching us. God sometimes uses problems to help us go and to move in the direction that he wants us to go. We saw it with feeding the 5,000. The Lord said, we need to feed these folks. Philip, what are we going to do? Philip, like, we, uh, 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 
I, we, we got, I, I'm not, I don't know. We got a little money, but that's not enough. But the point is, we need to begin with, with Jesus, with all of life's problems. Um, Jesus' answer to the crowd's question highlights the importance of faith in God as the foundation of all good works. He tells them that the work of God is to believe in him. This means that rather than seeking to please God through good deeds alone, our, primarily fo- our primary focus should be on developing a personal relationship with him. All right? So our life is so that we might develop our faith. Right? That, that means we're putting off the old man and we're putting on the new man so that we might be more like Christ. We're denying ourselves for the sake and for the glory of God. And by believing in Jesus and following his teaching, we can can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform the good works that God desires of us. In other words, the more we realize our need to grow in our relationship with God, We're going to find ourselves depending upon God more. We're going to see people who are depending upon. Now when a person sits down and they have a meal, because they're depending upon God, they bow their heads and they give thanks. And it doesn't matter who's looking. Why? Because we understand who our allegiance is to. We have a relationship with God. So, this encourages us to continue to depend upon the Holy Spirit, and also it includes acts of love and compassion towards others, as well as the development of spiritual gifts that we can use to serve God and others. And our last verse, verse 29 Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So church, help me. What is the work of God? The work of God is to believe in him, right? So if we're ever wondering about the will of God, right? We know that the work of God, the will of God, begins with believing in him, starting with him. And here in our text, Jesus responds to the question posed by the crowd about the work of God. He tells them that the work of God is to believe in him. This statement implies that faith in God is the foundation for all other good works and is necessary for acceptance by God. And so the work of faith is described as the work of God because it is not something that can be achieved through human effort alone. Rather, it is something that is the result of God working in us and through us. Faith is not only a decision to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but also a continuous reliance on him for guidance and strength. 
Jesus emphasizes that faith in him is the one thing needful which supersedes all other works. So in other words, if we don't have faith, we don't have what? Nothing. Right? We don't have faith. We don't have nothing. So it is the foundation of all other good works, and it is essential for pleasing God. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to God's grace, and without it, all other works are meaningless. Finally, Jesus highlights that faith is the work of God, which closes with Christ and relies upon him. To have faith is to believe in Jesus as God's representative and to trust him with our lives. It is through this faith in him as Lord and Savior that we can experience true peace and joy in our lives, knowing that we have been reconciled with God through the sacrifice of his son. So, 1 Corinthians 15 58, Paul states, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning, mentioning you in our prayers Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see how more we get into the scriptures, we're able to see how the scriptures get into us. We begin to see God working everywhere. All over the scriptures. The scriptures is pointing us there. Oh, go over there. Go in the Old Testament. Go there. It's everywhere. And that's the confidence that we have. That our our book, that good book, still stands over 2,000 years. Still got the word of God here with us. And God is keeping it. He says, heaven and earth will pass away before one dot, one tittle pass away from his word. So may the Holy Spirit guide us, family, to live our lives, to honor God, to bear witness of what he has done in our lives, and to recognize his grace and mercy. Father God, we thank you for your word and we Pray, Lord, that you would help us to rely upon you more, to be dependent upon you, and to begin with faith. Help us to trust you and to believe in you and to find hope and confidence because of the promises that you have given us. Pray that you would help us to live out this life for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.